Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Against small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google Workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial by going to nordpass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years, and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you the all, all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder, a founder that has done it, you know, has say, gone through the full cycle of building, scaling, financing, exiting, you name it. You know, he's been on both sides of the table. And I think that we're going to find, you know, the interview today very inspiring. Also, you know, you may find the battle of accents here, you know, with the UK, British, and then also with the Spanish as well. But in any case, let's welcome our guest today, Pete Flint. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Good to see you. So originally from the UK. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane, Pete. How was life growing up? Yeah, so I, I was born just outside London in the UK. And um, I guess um, growing up, I guess my, 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 um, my father was a professor. My mom was a high school teacher. So like getting good grades was pretty much a, a, a necessary thing. And I ended up going to um, study physics at university. My father, like, would bring back really early kind of computers, you know, huge, like, um, you know, they were called PCs, but they were kind of these big computers. And I kind of got, was intrigued by computers very early on as a teenager. And uh, anyway, I did a bunch of internships at, at um, well, as a university, worked for IBM for a bit, kind of went to JP Morgan and, and actually went to JP Morgan the summer of 1995. 
where the where the internet kind of really revolution really kicked off. So Netscape went public. I was like, wow, okay. I know two things. Like one is like I never want to work for an investment bank um, because I didn't like the environment, but I absolutely wanted to work on the internet. And so I kind of that kicked it off for me. And then I I found my way to um, be part of the founding team at LastMinute.com, which was just a wonderful. Um, uh, an amazing experience, kind of really the, an iconic UK uh, online travel marketplace and um, had a wonderful ride there. I mean, how did that happen, Pete? How do you all of a sudden, you know, stumble across, you know, the opportunity and, you know, you're able to uh, to, to to be part of, of, of the team? And I mean, what a, what a journey to last minute. Well, I guess it sort of, it came out, I mean, actually it sort of came out a few years earlier. I was still as an undergrad student and i and i wrote emails to every single internet startup in the uk and there were 17 at the time that i could find and this was like 96 i said hey can you give me a summer job and uh i got a few kind of offers and one of them was a company that brent um the 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 ceo at who became the ceo at last minute was also working and so we were peers for a year or so and so it kind of we stayed in touch and say friends. And so as soon as he raised a bit of money, they're like, okay, come and join. Um, and I'm, so that and was last that. minute, last minute, you know, an incredible, you know, success story. I mean, what was that journey like? Because you were there, you know, for quite a bit. I mean, part of the dot com, you know, bubble. You know, I guess you know also as uh, things you know would uh, you know bust a little bit too. You know, you were able to experience all of that. So how was that journey with last minute and? What were the lessons, you know, that you learned, you know, along the way? I guess the sort of, for kind of, I think there were like a, a couple of really distinct chapters. The first chapter was really the sort of like hyper growth scaling phase. So what is amazing um, is that the company went public 18 months after launch, which is like, which is sort of unbelievable. And it was just the first phase was really a story about fundraising about hyper growth, talent acquisition in, in terms of bringing folks on board and just, you know, telling a story and owning the market. And then the company went public in, in March 2000, really at the peak of the NASDAQ. And then that's when the second phase kind of kicked in, um, which was really like, and it was, it was a really barren patch. The, the, the company was incredibly fortunate, had a really strong balance sheet, but you know, the, the stock price created to like 95%. And, you know, while we were kind of in the depths of the dot-com collapse, September the 11th happened. And so it was a incredibly challenging period that, you know, you're in an online travel company and you're, you're sitting there and you're watching the, the news. And like, once you digest the human tragedy about what's going on, you start to think, well, I'm at an online travel company. No one is getting on planes. And so it was an incredibly sort of challenging time. Um, and then really it's sort of, and then, and then once we kind of got through kind of that, we started to see during the sort of, the, the kind of ashes and challenges, we started to see real opportunity. And this is where a really interesting experience and lesson for founders in that when you see these market dislocations, they often present a real opportunity for fast booming startups to match this supply and demand. In this case, it was like, Airlines with thousands, millions of unsold seats in airplanes, hotels with millions of unbooked nights in hotels, and they all wanted an outlet for them to sell this unsold inventory. And then, 
you know, last minute came along and said, well, we have a direct connection to consumers, pay on performance, meaning we'll just take a commission and we can be very dynamic and very fast and, and email and market to millions of consumers very quickly. And out of that, we helped a sort of, you know, frankly, a, you know, a poor consumer base, people didn't have much money at that time with these sort of, you know, to help them stay in five-star hotels at three-star prices and also help the hotels and airlines to, to build their business. So it was just a, you know, a really incredible opportunity while the market was down to allow them to, to, to allow last minute to get this massive market share. And so while it was very challenging at the time, we came out and ultimately the company was acquired for over a billion dollars in 2005 which at the time was just a remarkable achievement. And then other many, many other companies managed to have similar success at that time, whether that's Expedia or Booking.com. That's amazing. Now, after an experience like this, you know, obviously you learned a lot about business. I mean, you, you learned, you know, what, what it looks like, you know, to go through the full cycle. Why did you think it was a good idea to perhaps go at it, you know, on kind of like change gears here and, and go to business school and go to Stanford? Yeah. So I, so after five years in a crazy, a crazy environment, I was, you know, I was in my mid twenties and, you know, I'd like helped to take a company public done all these things. It was like amazing kind of experience, but I really felt that I had seen one, one company in one industry very, very close uh, out front. And then I, you know, I'd studied physics and I didn't really have a, I felt a breadth of breadth of knowledge. And then plus I like had the opportunity to go to Silicon Valley for a couple of years or more. Um, and when you're in the UK, you're, you know, you, you're, you're kind of like, you know, the top of the tree in some ways of, of the UK, the chance to go into the premiership, um, to use the kind of soccer or football analogy, like to go, to go and play for the, in the Premier League is like, okay, this is it. This is a wonderful opportunity. Um, and so, you know, I went, um, I went to Stanford, at, you know, in Silicon Valley and you sort of pinch yourself because you, you know, you do rub shoulders and you see these amazing companies um, out there. And, and that was an incredible experience. And what a difference too, because I mean, in, in Europe at the time, in the early 2000s, venture capital was non-existent. And here you land in, in, in Silicon Valley, where everything is happening in terms of innovation. Well, it was just coming out of the, you know, I moved in 2003. And so it was just coming out of the dot-com collapse. And so I think there was, you know, by 2004, 2005, there was um, enthusiasm. But it was, you know, it was a place of builders. It was a place of kind of visionaries. A lot of people who were really true believers hadn't left Silicon Valley. And we're kind of building stuff. Um, but it was a, you know, and it was sort of for me, I found my people in many ways working for technology companies in, in the UK. It's like, okay, this is, these are my people. And, um, and, and, that, and that was incredibly inspiring. And then the, the other piece to go to business school is you end up almost playing CEO every day. And I think, you know, some of the, you know, Stanford and many other business schools these days are really not trying to get people to, to kind of become the next, you know, CEO of General Motors or General Electric, they're actually churning out entrepreneurs, um, and there are significant, you know, they give you significant resources, significant help, significant time to to really think about how do you build an a, an amazing business. And I so I spent, you know, at least the first year just, you know, learning and recharging, and then started thinking about what's next. 
So then let's talk about the what's next. Because obviously, you know, you go there and, uh, and here you come up with the idea of Trulia. So, you know, as they say, ideas, you know, they're like dormant. You know, they take time to incubate. You don't even know that they're there. But then all of a sudden, you know, there are certain things that happen that push you over the edge and, and, and boom, you know, the idea now is, uh, is born. So how was that process for you? And, and what was that uh, uh, sequence of events that needed to happen to bring Trulia to life? So there were, there were probably a sort of couple of different things. So, so really two, two big things. So one was that, um, you know, in, in, at the business school, the first year they give you like, okay, you stay in the halls of residence. And then the second year, you're on your own to find somewhere to live. And, uh, and I, you know, there were like five buddies of mine. They were like, okay, let's, let's find somewhere to live. And so I was, I had this, this view of like Silicon Valley is like so advanced and like I expected people to be going around in segways and like, you know, it's like incredibly advanced. And I was like, okay, let's, let's, where's the website to help people find somewhere to live? And, um, you know, ask around, it's like, well, there's, there's this Craigslist thing that, that a lot of people use. And then there's also this, you know, you go and speak to a real estate agent. And I was just like shocked at how bad um, the biggest financial decision in your life or your biggest expense, which is mortgage or rent. It's like, it was awful in terms of finding this. Um, I was like, wow, that's, a, that's crazy. So I was like, I was just shocked at how bad it was. And then the second piece was, it was around the time when Google was going public. And um, uh, this, I think, 2004 when they're public, and it was like, wow, Google, um, this search paradigm, which enables you to, you know, to to aggregate all this information, present information, uh, you know, obviously from in a horizontal context. Like, how could you apply that paradigm, which is you know vertical, you know, search, to a specific industry? So, kind of V1 of of Truly was really more like a vertical search engine. How do you how do you aggregate all this information uh, across real estate in a consumer-friendly manner that enabled you to, um, uh, to consumers to find that information and then connect with real estate agents and, and information to find? So that was that was a concept, um, and we, you know, I teamed up with a classmate of mine, Sammy Inkinen, and then um, you know found some students in the computer science department to build some of the the technology and. We kind of built this, built this prototype while we were at school, and um, and then we had to figure out how to raise money, and and where we went from there. Uh, what were the early days of uh, of raising money for this? We had this sort of um, perspective that okay, with these, you know, we've got a big idea, we've got a prototype that works. Let's go and speak to the kind of the the big name VCs in Silicon Valley. You know, the sort of the the Sequoias, the Excels, etc. And they were you know, and, and they were kind of immediately like, You're, it's interesting, but it's way too early. And we got zero traction and zero progress with those folks. Constant rejections from the kind of the, the big guys. And then we shifted and said, okay, let's, um, let's find angel money. Let's find folks that's to put in 25K, but in 50K, 100K. And so we, we went off, went after the angel investors. And, you know, Kevin Hart, the co-founder and former CEO of Eventbrite, became our first investor. And a bunch of other Silicon Valley folks kind of came in, and we just necked our, networked our way. Now I, you know, I had connections through Stanford, but really I didn't know anyone in Silicon Valley before I moved. Um, I moved there, and um, and then the other, you know, the other piece is that 
you know, I, my point of view was that the hard thing about the business, that my point of view at the time, the hard thing about the business was building the technology, which was like, we built this pretty advanced search engine. We also, at the time Google Maps came out, we were the first, one of the first people to kind of take their API, actually hack their API until they made it public and kind of put a map onto it, which at the time was, was breakthrough. And, um, and just build this sort of, build the platform that worked. The thing is, it looked horrible. It was just like, it was truly an MVP. It was horrible. And so, you know, we'd show people the prototype and they say like, you know, this, this, this is, looks awful. You know, there's no way we're going to give you money. And then what happened, we, we ended up um, raising a bit of angel money, putting the front end on and everything changed. Um, you know, we, we kind of put the slick interface that we, we, we knew we would always been sort of conceiving, but we thought it was the last, you know, it's more the, the veneer on top, but the slick interface on top of the, um, the sort of hardcore technology and then things, and then things transformed in terms of fundraising. And it was suddenly went from trickle through to a gush of, of people interested. And how much money did you guys say uh, raise prior to the IPO? We raised in a couple of rounds. We raised, um, you know, like two million at the, you know, what today we're probably called the the, the pre-seed or seed. The next round, Axel led, which you know probably in today would be a seed or Series A, and that would be five point five or six million. And then Sequoia led the next round, which was ten, and then we raised another round, which was um, let's say to fifteen. And so we raised a total of thirty-three million dollars prior to we went public, which, you know, is a sort of testament to the capital efficiency that um, was there. And, and to be honest, we, we, we tried to raise a lot more. We, we tried, literally, we like, particularly in sort of 2010, the company was break even. Um, we were kind of like, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars around. We tried to raise money, but it was still like a people's view in online real estate then was, was really barren. And so we, and the valuation we proved to raise at was pretty high. And so we, we couldn't raise. And so we just had to be like ridiculously efficient in what we, uh, what we were doing. And then, all, you know, we went, went public, a pretty small IPO, at, you know, worth about um, 500 million. And then, and then it grew from there. So we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's Asynchronous, I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com is just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. 
This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing businesses. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. Now, obviously, marketplaces, you know, they're very difficult. You know, you got the supply, the demand, the chicken and the egg, as the investors would call it. You know, I always say that I just want to shoot the chicken and step on the egg because it's very <laughs> annoying to try to build two companies at the same time. I guess, you know, with the experience with Trulia, how would you say that your your view has shaped up, you know, when it comes to uh, marketplaces? You know, my, my role at last minute was I was, you know, what would be called the today, like the head of growth. And so I've always been really distribution growth focused and kind of had sort of built my um, experience in the area. And, you know, we came up with, you know, I, and this is something I look for today, obviously, is just really clever, efficient, and scalable ways to acquire supply and demand. Um, and, I, you know, you usually you start with one, and in best case, you have really clever tactics on both. And really, that is, you know, for Trulia, for the supply side, which is often the starting point, we use search to be the aggregator. So we went out and really asked permission for agents. They like, first we asked them, like, could you provide us a data feed of your, um, uh, uh, provide us a data feed of, of um, your listings? And they would say, you know, data feed, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, uh, I, I don't know how to do that. I say, oh, could you, would you allow us to index your website so you can share your inventory with us? And they say, sure, absolutely. Um, so we use search to really aggregate all that information. It was an incredibly elegant way to do it, enabled us to scale incredibly quickly to aggregate all this information. And that enabled us to build this very efficiently, this really, this really terrific interface. And then on the on the demand side, one thing we noticed is there was no at the time there were no brands for people who were no go-to digital brands for online real estate. You know, people wouldn't say go to this site, this site or that site. And people were using Google. People were just going like, uh, okay, I'm going to type in San Francisco homes for sale, Palo Alto apartments for rent or apartments for sale. And so we like, okay, well, let's let's make sure that we, um, you know, rank highly in search engines. And so at the initial kind of the initial services, like, okay, how do we, you know, make sure our content is very visible to the search engines? Um, we set the site structure, all the stuff around that so we were very focused on seo in the initial phase and so that that really gave us while the experience wasn't perfect and 100 percent comprehensive it was the best thing out there um in the eyes of google so we went up we were really up in the search rankings and then the higher the and that was incredibly cheap and efficient the higher the traffic we could go back to the to the, 
the suppliers and they were saying to say like i know we were doing this this kind of indexing thing like now we need you to send us a data feed and they were like of course you're you're one of the biggest sites in the industry um so we managed to transform um the um uh, the supply side into contractual relationships with the agents and then the demand side we we're able to scale that and add a whole bunch of other channels as well that's amazing so what ended up being the outcome with uh, trulia so we went public as i said in 2012 and and then you know i guess during you know during that sort of period from starting in 2005 there was one other company that was um, doing a lot of similar stuff. So Zillow launched in 2006, um, really great team, founders of Expedia. Um, and they, we've been sort of tracking each other um, over the sort of like uh, preceding, preceding years. So Zillow started on, on home values, there's estimate, incredibly successful, truly started on homes for sale. And then really over the subsequent years, our product kind of started to replicate each other. We had evaluations, they had homes for sale, we had this feature, they had this feature, so that sort of ended up this feature parity. And we'd had a number of conversations over the years about, okay, how do, you know, how does it make sense to um, bring these companies together? And we spoke when we were both private companies, we spoke when they were a public company, we were private, and then we spoke again when we were both public companies. And a bunch of kind of reasons came together where it makes sense to merge the businesses. And so we merged the businesses in, we announced in 2014 and then closed in 2015 after a pretty, pretty lengthy process. That's incredible. And what was the uh, value of the transaction? So it was, um, so, so truly it was valued at three and a half billion at the, um, wow. at the transaction. So a little bit, I mean, and a little bit of the kind of the thought process. I mean, we weren't, we weren't looking to sell the business, you know, the revenue was growing rapidly. We're doing a quarter million dollar uh, run rate, um, sorry, a quarter of a billion dollars of, of run rate revenue, profitable, um, you know, and a huge market potential. But you know, a couple of things were were kind of happening. So, um, and and you know, I guess the framework that I think about, you know, assuming you don't need to sell, meaning that you're not going to go bankrupt. Like, what is the sort of framework to think about how to sell? One was, have, has the rules of the game changed? Um, and, and what I mean by that is that, you know, for, for Trulia, in the early years was a product battle between Zillow and Trulia. But then as the products became more similar, it became more of a marketing battle. So collectively, both companies were spending, I think, 150 million per year on marketing. TV ads, Google ads, Facebook ads, like we were just like hammering each other with um with marketing and so the only winner in that scenario and in many ways is the tv networks and um the ad networks um so that the game had changed and and you see this in none of the other industries as where the where the game changes two is um is someone going to provide fair value for um future execution and it felt like three and a half billion um was was fair value for the business at the time um, given the revenue, what we were doing, it kind of felt okay. This is um, this is fair value for um, uh, for where we were, and so that felt like you know the, a good reason to to go forward. Three was: Are you number one in the category that you're in? And you know, 
I'm now at NFX and we're experts in network effects. And there's, you know, the, the principle of network effects is that, you know, the, the more people use your product service, the better it gets for every other user or user of that service. So if you're not number one, it's um, uh, your product has that deficiency and it's really, really hard um, to be um, to be the dominant um, player. And truly, it was tracking one or two quarters behind Zillow. We're a little bit behind. You know, I think, you know, they, they raised three times the amount of capital that we did. And so I had this head start. And so we were a little, you know, just a little bit behind. And that was infuriating and kind of very challenging. And then the fourth was like, you know, are you kind of, um, you know, are you, are you just exhausted or kind of burnt out or have you lost the, the energy? I hadn't lost the energy to fight. I was like, the team was kind of fired up and enthusiastic, but we lost that energy. We hadn't lost the energy, but the other three were true. And so we felt, okay, this is, um, you know, at the time it was sort of like, you know, initially it was like, I don't really want to do this. It's like an amazing team, amazing opportunity. But the more I kind of digested it, the more I felt that this was the right thing to do. Um, and so we, we closed the transaction like in Q1 2015. And what an outcome and what a ride, Pete. So let's talk about now about your latest baby or your latest initiative, NFX. So yep. how did NFX come together and what are you guys doing in NFX? Yeah, so NFX, we're a leading early stage venture, venture firm. Um, so our focus is to lead institutional seed and pre-seed rounds. Um, the, the focus for us is, is around network effect businesses, so network effects stands for NFX stands for network effects, which has really been the guiding principle between my career at last minute um, and, and Trulia. And then also that is the guiding principle of the um, the careers of, of my partners as well. Um, so in um, so James Courier is a marketplaces and growth expert. He's an operator, he's a founder, founded like six companies and a terrific angel investor and advisor. Back companies like Lyft, DoorDash and many others. Uh, Gigi Levi-Weiss, he is one of Israel's most famous, initially one of most Israel's most famous angel investors, but also has run public companies, um, massive divisions, founded multi-billion dollar gaming companies, just a phenomenal human being and phenomenal um, um, business and, and founder uh, expert as well. Um, so the how we got together back in, 2015, 2016. So individually, we'd all been doing a lot of a fair amount of angel investing. And I think we're, we're happy with that, but we really felt we kind of lacked the leverage, the scale, the power to really help founders by doing it individually. So um, we started as um, doing our angel investing, and then we together, we started a, a sort of micro fund slash accelerator at $15 million where we invested in a large number of companies. And then we transitioned in 2017 to NFX to what it is today, which is, you know, today we're investing out of a $450 million fund, leading seed rounds across a range of different sectors, um, from marketplaces to FinTech, um, to gaming, to computational biology, to Web3 and, and a number of others. And we've also been joined by two other partners, Morgan Bella, who is, part of the founding team that's one of the co-creators of the crypto initiatives at, at Facebook. And then Omri Drory, who runs uh, our synthetic biology 
practice that was a founder that we backed previously and is just an incredible investor and and um an expert in that area wow now imagine pete that you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of nfx is fully realized what does that world look like oh the vision for us um is to be the world's leading seed fund um period so you know we're we've um you know we've backed so far hundreds of hundreds of founders um we publish a lot of articles so you know you should sign up at nfx.com and kind of read the articles hundreds of thousands of founders read that stuff um and we're um we've built a platform team where there's a dozen folks that help founders and all sorts of things from fundraising to hr recruiting legal um deck design everything and um yeah we built really a pretty significant service over the last five years i think the way that we look at you know early stage venture is as former operators we do think this industry will be transformed by software and so while there's a human element to it we've kind of we have about a third of the team at nfx is like software engineers and builders and so we built all these software and data assets to help you know really to give us sort of an insight into what's going on but also build institutional advantages for the firm so kind of we we do think that the future and the vision is really exceptional people who have great founder empathy from their experiences combined with a you know a software and intelligence and data that really helps to give both the founders an unfair advantage as well as the um as well as the uh the team and effects as well that's incredible now Obviously, we're talking about, you know, we've been talking about the future here, but let's talk about the past and having the opportunity to reflect on it. Imagine if I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, you know, back in time, you know, where, you know, you were, you know, working in, in investment banking, you know, as an associate, you know, getting your feet wet, you know, seeing the Internet and perhaps, you know, getting involved and maybe even launching a business of your own. Imagine if you were able to have a sit down with that younger Pete and give that younger Pete a piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? It is interesting. It truly, we, when we started, we, um, the first thing we did pretty much was to um, define the values of the company. Um, and usually, like, what's the first thing you do when you start a company? You start building code. You start kind of like building stuff. And we we literally defined, before we wrote a line of code, we defined what kind of company we want to work in um, and, and the values that we think are important to us. And, and then what are we going to do to make sure those values truly persist and are kind of like authentic in the organization? And, you know, it seemed a bit ridiculous at the time, but it was just important to us that, you know, if we're going to spend... 70, 80, 90 hours a week in this place, we want to make it an exceptional place to, to work. And so we did that and it was, you know, and it was, it was great. It was good and, and all that. But I think it, it wasn't really clear to me how important that was until uh, in Trulia's case in, in 2008, like, you know, you saw the, the stock, uh, the, the, the stock markets collapse, you saw the banks collapse. And real estate, you saw prices come down by a third, you saw volume come down by a third. No one wanted to work at an online real estate company in that period of time. 
but it was this investment that we made in culture um, and teamwork that not only kind of helped people to say, yeah, these are, this is a place I want to be, but also it enabled a sort of creativity, a passion, a drive, like a persistence to get us through those periods to figure out all these tough problems. Um, and that was, um, that, that was the single biggest thing that helped us to get through that, that super challenging period. Wow. Now, Pete, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? The best way is Twitter, at Pete Flint is my, is my handle, and then, uh, and then LinkedIn, and then nfx.com. Sign up for our email newsletter. Um, and um, there's a pack full of tons of advice for founders, and, and you can find our podcast and YouTube channel and a bunch of other stuff as well. Amazing. Well, hey, Pete, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Great to be here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.